Sports Media, a podcast made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. My goodness, I haven't said that in a while, dude. This is crazy. Yes, Armando is back. Back from uh, just being kind of a commentator. Now I'm going to lead the podcast. For those of you that listen to the podcast, I normally just do the Chiefs episodes. But today is not a Chiefs episode. Today is not a sporting episode. Today is not a Royals episode. This is kind of off the cuff. Going to be a really exciting episode. We'll explain more later. But I am joined today by Reese, a.k.a. Referee. Reese, how are you doing today? I'm super stoked for this episode because, you know, it's a little bit change of pace. As you mentioned, it's all-star break. Royals ain't playing. Sporting KC's on a 14-day break because Gold Cup's going on down the highway at Children's Mercy Park, so they ain't playing. Kansas City Chiefs obviously ain't playing, so what are we going to do? Today, Reese, we are going to revisit something that is actually on our Patreon, for those that don't follow us on patreon reese give a little shout outs for social medias because i always forget what our like handles are for each website give us a little shout out got better handles than Kyrie and dr j put together let me tell you you can find us on instagram at fountain city sm on twitter at fountain city sm on facebook at fountain city sm and at patreon at patreon.com backslash fcsm where you'll find premium content including outtakes bonus episodes and exclusive beer reviews thank you reese yeah so on patreon from season zero we did a what if podcast now the what if podcast is what would happen in an alternate universe in sports so we broke down certain situations uh we might be revisiting them i don't know if we're going to revisit some of them uh but check check out the patreon for that but this is a continuation podcast of what if in sports so we have one scenario each that we're going to talk about today and see what would happen it's it can be about kansas city and maybe it's not about kansas city but they're just super fun really fun to dive into and of course a fun time with my pal referees before we dive into it reese how's your week been man Uh, my week's not been too bad all things considered i've been in the process of starting a new position at boulevard brewing company as marketing and events coordinator for the tours and rec department yeah it's been a good time so i'm I'm getting my teeth cut learning the process on all that you know getting some projects off the ground and I mean, that's, that's been the better part of my last two weeks. How about you? It's been good, man. I did one week at Glimmerglass. Um, we opened two shows already this week, which is wild. For those of you that are in the music world or not in the music world, normally it takes about a month to put a show on, but we literally put a show on in days, which is wild. But uh, everyone is so talented here from the cast to the crew. So it's, it's going to be great. I'm really excited for it. Uh, I actually get a day off tomorrow, so I'm going to head to... Oma Gang Brewing, which is a sister slash brother brewery of Reese and Boulevard. True right? that, dude. Brewery Oma Gang is our sister brewery out in Cooperstown, New York, brewing some high quality Belgian ales. They are also dipping their toes into the IPA market. They have this dope OMG series of like these hazy IPAs. You know, they got some things like neon pools, neon rainbows. Just in case you hadn't caught on by now, neon is a big thing with that. So. You better check those bad boys out while you're up there, Armando, because they mean serious business. They're doing some great stuff up there. Yeah, I'm definitely going to do a flight, and then for things that I didn't try that I know are like bomb, I'll just grab a bunch of cans and bring them back. And stay tuned. I may review some next week, so we'll see. Uh, What else happened this week? Let's see. Oh, yeah, the Home Run Derby happened. Reese, did you happen to check out any of that on our boy Salvi? Oh, was Salvador Perez in the Home Run Derby? I had no idea because they were busy talking about anything (laughs) under the sun other than the guy with the bat in his hands swinging home runs. Dude, let me tell you. That got me heated. That got me real heated. <laughs> yeah, so for those of you that didn't see, Salvi actually hit 28 home runs in his home run derby debut, uh, losing to the eventual champ, uh, the Mets Alonzo. But during, while Salvi is just hitting dingers, right? He's I think he's the first catcher to hit 28 home runs in the home run derby. So it is a, a record of some yes. sorts. And of course, us Kansas City fans, we love to see it. But while he was hitting, the entire time they are interviewing Alonzo. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, we are witnessing history here. And they're over here like, uh, Salvi Schmalvi. Like, I'm sorry. I know we are a small market team. But come on, this is 
Salvador Perez, World Series champion. How dare you? How dare you, ESPN, do that to our boy, Salvi? World Series champion, World Series MVP, multi-time gold glove winner, Salvador Perez. And as you mentioned, he hit the most home runs for a catcher in the Home Run Derby in all of its entirety history. And the stupid new system they have, where it's kind of like the head-to-head, you know, when he got paired with uh, Alonzo, it's like, had he been paired with anybody else that round, he would have advanced. He hit the second most home runs in the first round, but because he was stuck with who he was stuck with, he didn't go on by default. It's like, tell me that's not a flawed system. Oh, and, and you know, it definitely was rigged toward Pete Alonzo's favor. Like, like you know, they were like, okay, what are the small market teams that have players in it? Okay, Salvi. Okay, let's put Salvi and the back-to-back champion together so that then we can have this Alonzo-Otani matchup towards the end. Like, just like you said, like, Salvi, that was probably, like, the championship round right there. It's just ESPN and the MLB not giving us enough credit, which is really... De- it's really unfortunate. Super unfortunate. I, I've seen a lot of people online too. So I'm like, what's the big deal? Or those fans like, why are you so upset? I didn't even notice they were talking over Salvi right about it. It's like, you didn't notice because he's not your player. You're probably some big market fan from some big market city. The problem is whenever there's a chance for a small market club or a small city player to get noticed on the national scale, you know, it's like we, we glom onto that. That's family for us. You know, that's why we're so thankful we have Patrick Mahomes on our team because like otherwise we wouldn't be getting any notoriety or talk in the media ever. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this this was our like one chance to be on TV and like the spotlight and then there it goes an interview with Pete Alonzo, whatever. But Kansas City, we are proud. Kansas City fans, enjoy this moment. Um, Salvador Perez is the is the fourth Royals player, actually, to be featured in the Derby, uh, joining Bo Jackson, Dan Tartable, and Mike Moustakis. Oh, I forgot and Moustakis. Actually, did I say that right? Danny, Danny Tartable? Tartal. Oh my gosh, I, I can't even remember. All all I can remember is the story about Tartable. Billy Butler getting snubbed when the All Star Game was in Kansas City. Remember that? So let me take you back uh, back in time to a little bit of history. We're, we're talking about the year is 2012 when Kansas City and the newly renovated Kauffman Stadium are holding the Home Run Derby. Now the captain of the AL Home Run Derby team was everybody's favorite player of that time period. And I'm about to age myself here. Robinson Cano. Remember Robinson Cano? Of course, yeah. Second baseman for the Yankees. During that season, Billy Butler was raking. And Robinson Cano said there is, quote, no chance Billy Butler will be left off of the home run derby team for the AL. Guess what happened? Billy Butler was not selected by Robinson Cano for the AL home run derby team. And the best part of all this is, is when Cano got up to bat to take his swings, the boos were constant the entire time. Constant. I mean, like, look it up on YouTube. There's tons of fan videos. The cherry on top of the cherry on top is the fact that guess how many Robinson home runs Robinson Cano hit? Uh, what, like three? Zero. No he hit way, I don't even zero remember home that. runs at his plate appearance for the Home Run Derby. So if you want to talk about baseball curses, the Bambino curse, the Wrigley Goat curse, let's talk about the Robinson Cano Billy Butler curse. <laughs> Reese is absolutely fired up today, and I love it because I am also fired up, and this is going to be a perfect segue into a fired up episode about what if sports. Love it. So, Reese, shall we shall we continue, or do you want to keep riffing about this because it is a passionate subject for us, Kansas City? You know, fans. It's, it's okay. I've gotten it out. I've been talking to my counselor. Things are fine. You know, everything is a okay. Everything is a okay. <laughs> I don't know, man. That sounded like a gripe, but I'm gonna let that slide, and we are gonna go into our what if segments. Um, I'm just gonna assume that your what if is gonna be better than mine. So how about I go first? Yeah, please be my guest. You know what? But before we go into the what if, I also have a gripe, Reese. I need to get on your level of like fiery orna- ornation. Um, so <laughs> some ornation. Yes, I need to get on the same ornation <laughs> as you. Um, so you know what? <laughs> you know what gets me riled up? MLB the show. Oh my gosh. Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, you all know because I've talked about it that I don't have a PS4 or PS5. I have an Xbox. So I was elated when I saw that MLB the show was going to be cross-played into Xbox and I was super stoked. I get it for my birthday. It's like the best present that I got on my birthday. I come over to Cooperstown and actually my Xbox power box broke. 
No. So like right when I got there, it was the first thing I was going to do. Plugged it in. Doesn't work. So I'm like super pissed. I drive all the way up to Utica, which is like 35 minutes away. Oh. And I go to the GameStop and, and shell out for another power box. I do it just because of MLB The Show. So I do it. I, I start playing. And I'm, you know, I'm so excited, man. I start playing Dynasty mode. Mm-hmm. The first 20 games, I maybe had like one hit. And and for, for reference, I chalked it up as, you know, I've never played this, right? When I, like back in the day, I used to play that other MLB game. I forgot what it was called already. Uh, and, and MVP Baseball. Oh, yeah, like yeah, that yeah. was that was the big one. That was the big EA Sports mm-hmm. one. So I'm chalking it up as, you know what, I'm just not used to the game. 50 games later i'm already like halfway into my minor league season five zero and i'm still yeah isn't that halfway through the minor league Uh, season yeah i'm already halfway through the minor league season i didn't know if you said 15 or 50 wow oh no no no. five zero like like i am not letting up i am just like whiffing 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 not going on youtube to like find some Mm -hmm. hack but i finally after 50 games i have like a uh, a batting average of like 195 Jeez. and I'm like screw it I have I have to text Reese and I was like Reese is there like what am I doing wrong in this game because I am whiffing on everything I can't see any curves I can't see any change-ups like I, I I can't even see a fastball on my left side I just like oh that looks cool <laughs> and then I try to whack it so Reese then what did you tell me to do the secret in MLB the show is find the right camera which in my history has always been the show 15 camera mode. So I do exactly what Reese says. The very next pitch, I've again, I played like 50 games. I, and I never been hit by a pitch. The very first throw, I get hit by a pitch because you know, like in the settings, they just weren't ready for it to be shrunken in. For those that play MLB The Show 15, you have a shrunken in strike zone, so it's a lot easier to see pitches. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get hit by a pitch the first time, and I was like, "This has to be because the camera angle." Second at bat, grand slam. Jeez. I bet that felt pretty good <laughs> on the first pitch oh my gosh I was, well and then I text you I was like dude now I think I'm cheating because I went like oh for 46 and now I get hit by a pitch in a grand slam so I was like oh my goodness but now what sucks is I'm playing um what am I playing not dynasty mode for um I forgot what the mode is called but it it changes as you do well oh. so if you do well then your batting goes to like hall of fame dynamic legendary. mode yeah dynamic mm-hmm. mode correct so i'm on dynamic mode and now i suck again well but like for man for 10 games dude i was i was freaking bobby witt jr i was gonna say in dynamic mode if you suddenly started hitting grand slams it's probably so realistic that like manfred calls you into his office and randomly drug tests you or something like that <laughs> <laughs> suspended for 100 well, this games. game's hard man i'm not even allowed to take an at bat for 25 games <laughs> they find an uzi in the back of my car i'm like wait i didn't even know we had cars in this game maybe next time i see you reese we can we can we can hit some dingers together speaking about hitting some dingers let's hit some podcast dingers with this what if sports edition of fountain city sports media bing 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 okay so i'm gonna start off the segment with something not chiefs related at all i just think it's a really it's a really interesting story and how it like has totally changed the way that the NBA now recruits and then also just going through what had happened for that draft. So today, my what if is going to be what if Dwayne Wade got picked second in the 2003 draft instead of Darko Milicic to the Detroit Pistons. It was the 2003 NBA draft, you said? Yeah, and let me let me give a lot of context here for those of you that aren't familiar. So the 2003 draft was the LeBron James draft. Legendary draft. And those and actually let me let me read the top 10 draft picks really quick. So Cleveland obviously picks LeBron. At 2, Detroit picks Darko Milicic. At 3, Denver picks Carmelo Anthony. At 4, Toronto picks Chris Bosh. At five, Miami picks Dwayne Wade. Mm-hmm. 
So these are like cataclysmic picks for all of these franchises, right? Cleveland wins a championship because of LeBron. The Heat win a championship because of Dwayne Wade. Toronto becomes relevant because of Chris Bosh. And then Carmelo is kind of his own story. But we have Darko Milicic in this like weird, you know, future hall of famers conglomerate of one through five and a lot of people that don't know the story would think like how in the world did darko milicic get picked second over all these guys you know darko milicic from serbia at that point so here's some here's some context story that it kind of makes sense it kind of doesn't make sense because for those of you that were watching basketball in 2003 no one knew who darko milicic was and when people saw they're like what in the world is going on so when Dirk Nowitzki got drafted back in the day. I, I don't remember what year. That kind of changed what was going to happen for international scouting. Now, in 2003, YouTube is, is a thing, but YouTube is still not a recruiting tool or, a, or an accessible thing that people use as recruiting. So you really still had to have your guys go over to Serbia, go over to Germany, go over to Italy um, to really scout these players. And then even then, you know, you're still not sure as to what is to happen. You know, we have such like a big... Um, a big toolbox of recruiting it internationally now, and I think that's why international play is so good. I'll, you know, we just saw America lose twice already: <laughs> once to Nigeria, one to Australia, um, just because everything is so accessible now. But in 2003, that's not the case. So for all of our young, our young kids out here, um, YouTube was not there, so you really had to have someone out there. Anyway, Detroit did have someone out in Serbia checking out Darko Milicic. And from what they saw, they thought he was pretty good. They didn't think that he'd be the second pick, though. It didn't happen until the week of the NBA draft. Okay, Darko Milicic flies into Detroit, and I don't remember why he flew into Detroit. I don't have that backstory. He's in Detroit and decides the night that he flies in that he is going to do a quick workout at the Detroit Pistons gym. So he goes to this gym. Lo and behold, the Detroit Pistons are having practice on the other side of the gym. Okay? Um, and he didn't necessarily know this at the time. Darko just wanted to get some shots in um, just to kind of figure stuff out. Well, who is at this practice is Tom Ranzoni. And Tom Ranzoni was at that time one of the head scouts of the Detroit Pistons. So they're having practice, and the head coach goes over to um, to Tom Ranzoni and says, hey, Darko's over there putting up shots. And they're like, no way, Darko's here? That's weird. So the Pistons stop practice, and they watch Darko Milicic shoot. Apparently, Darko has the, like, the night of his life shooting, and Tom Ranzoni goes over here. He's probably breaking a thousand rules, but Tom Ranzoni goes over and does a full workout with Darko Milicic in front of the entire Pistons organization. Like this is this is ten hours before the draft. This is what I've heard. Ten hours before the draft, they do a workout for Darko, and he has the workout of his life. After that, who knows who Detroit was going to take? Or sorry, before this happened, we don't know who Detroit was going to take, but from all sources, they were not going to take Darko Milicic until they saw that workout. They changed their entire draft plan because of this like midnight workout that had happened in Detroit. And then lo and behold, 10 hours later, the 2003 NBA draft, the second pick, Darko Milicic to the Detroit Pistons. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head first things first in the whole Dirk Nowitzki analogy because Darko Milicic was a direct response into everyone's fascination with these Euro players. As we touched down in season zero talking about the Bulls in the last dance with Tony Kukoc, Tony Kukoc wasn't the OG international player. You know, there was that dude from Brazil who was lighting it up, remember? But, uh... Kukoc was the first player to play in the NBA, really, that people said, oh, there are good basketball players outside of the United States. He was never a star. He was a high-quality role player, third, fourth option. 
But then along comes Dirk Nowitzki a few years later, and he winds up lighting up Charles Barkley in that scrimmage, if you remember. And Charles Barkley's like, I, oh, he's like, yeah, I figured I'd just kind of like yeah. take this Euro dude soft. He kept hitting greasy, smooth jumpers over my head all day. You couldn't stop him. So flash forward another four or five years. We're at this 03 draft, and you got Darko Milicic there, and everyone's after the next Dirk. And I mean, to a degree these days, everyone still is after the next Dirk. You know, we got guys like Porzingis. Uh, Luka Doncic, although he plays point, has a very similar game. You know, these Euro players are really starting to flourish. Now, this is what I think might happen. This is where the shockwaves start coming. So Detroit picked Milicic number two overall, correct? Yep, two overall. I mean, I don't have to tell you this, but the 03 NBA draft is considered one of the top three draft classes in the country, or in the country of all time. You have the 84 draft to feature guys, you know, like Clyde Drexler, Michael Jordan, Bowie, all those Madudes. You have the 03 draft featuring LeBron James, but picked after LeBron was Carmelo Anthony, Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade, and even some NBA longtime, you know, good career guys like Chris Kamen, Kirk Heinrich, his teammate Nick Collinson, or Collison, excuse me. So there was quite a lot of talent in that draft. What do you think happens if Detroit picks Carmelo Anthony instead of Darko Milicic? Um, well, actually, I think Dwayne Wade would have been the better pick, right? I, um, but spitball in on Carmelo, then I'll touch Dwayne. I think immediately Carmelo would have been a better fit. Um, and I'll go through the roster a little bit when I talk about Dwayne Wade. But yeah, immediately they would have been a, a better fit. Um, so it, it probably would have been better for Carmelo. Would have been better for Detroit. I mean, Carmelo probably would have stayed there for a really long time. Um, but I, I think the bigger pick, though, what if they pick Dwayne Wade? I think is the is the like climax of this all, and it really changes sports like and the NBA particularly forever. Go ahead. You know, I, I can't say I blame him for not taking Dwayne Wade because, you know, Dwayne Wade was tearing it up at uh, Marquette, you know, which isn't necessarily an all-time basketball yeah. school. But I'm good, but now, you know, an all-time. And he was also a four-year senior, which was a knock-on. But I think him. it's also important to remember who did Detroit have on their roster in that 0-2-0-3 season? They already had point guard and shooting guard covered, both in reclamation projects with Chauncey Billups, who still had a lot of potential and a lot left in the tank at that point, as well as Rip Hamilton at shooting guard. So they really weren't in the need for someone to run point or take a lot of shots. So I'm willing to forgive him for that. But you know what I think really could have reshaped the NBA landscape, or at the very least, the Eastern Conference landscape for the next five, ten years? What? You take Chris Bosh. You take Chris Bosh on that team. Really? Because this was the bad boy Pistons part two in the early mid-2000s, remember? They they were running Chauncey Billups, Rip Hamilton, Rasheed Wallace, and Ben Wallace on the inside. Now, Ben Wallace was a full NBA player by that point. You know, he had had quite a few seasons under his belt. And even towards the end of that Detroit tenure, his knees were starting to give out. His body was starting to catch up with him. If there's at any point when LeBron and the Cavaliers start taking over and they finally get past the Pistons, it's because they don't have Ben Wallace banging inside. How deadly would that Pistons team have been if you had almost seven foot tall Chris Bosh pulling down boards, which was their specialty, but he also has a buttery smooth mid-range and three-point jumper that nobody can guard. How does that change the complexity of that Detroit team playing hard-nosed ball now that you got this rebound and finesse Tim Duncan Jr. on there? Yeah, I mean, I think if, if they would have plugged in any of these guys, right, Carmelo, Dwayne, and Bosh, I think it would have been great. And you're right, like they were stacked overall, right? You had Rip Hamilton at shooting guard, which I think Melo would have fit the best because Tayshawn Prince would have been their wing. And, of course, Carmelo's better than Tayshawn. Um, but I think with the Wallace brothers, though, are they weren't brothers. I'm sorry, but they're <laughs> you know names synonymous. Ben and Rashid, I think that pairing is so iconic, though, that it just like really set the tone for these, like you said, bad boys too, rough and tough dudes that just aren't gonna let up in the paint when the paint was like the biggest thing. I still think having Dwayne Wade 
in that system, whether he was starting or not. I mean, whether Dwayne in that first year was just um, just a uh, just a six man, because remember, 2003-2004 season, who won that year? The Pistons. The Pistons win the 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 uh, next two championships. And I'm saying, what if Dwayne Wade got picked on that team? Dwayne Wade starts on a championship roster and then proceeds to already be a champion, right? He, he, he proves to us during his career that he is the closest thing to Kobe Bryant in those 2000s. So for him to be on that team with, Cha- with Chauncey freaking Billups, like, you know, remember he is in his sixth year in 2003, Chauncey Billups. All these guys are kind of in the prime of their career. Of course, they get older and then they fall apart. But having... Dwayne Wade just like be this Patrick Mahomes type of guy take a year off and then really come into this system and then become a superstar I mean we're, we're talking this like industrial era rivalry between Cleveland and Detroit and them being the two mega like the mega places for basketball again I mean how exciting would that well, be? Well the one thing to remember though is that Dwayne Wade wasn't drafted to some scrub team he was drafted to Miami who within one year of this draft acquired still prime Shaquille O'Neal. They went on to have a nice run of three, four years themselves taking home an NBA title in that time. Yeah, which is wild to think about because Dwayne was so young when he won that first championship. He was so incredibly young. But man, I tell you what, flash era Dwayne Wade is one of my favorites. So, you know, I'm I'm willing to give you this. I think Dwayne Wade going to Cleveland... And being able to kind of pick up the pieces when that dynasty ends, you know, and over LeBron, oh, me, not Cleveland, uh, Detroit, and picking up the the pieces no. when the Chauncey <laughs> Billups. Like, Holy crap, we're gonna have a whole podcast no, about no, that. No, no, no. But you, you're kind of you're kind of getting to the point. I was gonna get ahead here. If Dwayne Wade isn't at Miami, does LeBron James still create the big three in 2012, and then subsequently create nope. the super team era in the NBA? the fallout of which is still being felt up to this season. What does LeBron do come decision time? I'm serious. Holy moly. Yeah, I mean, okay. So, yeah, I mean, we can dive into it a little further. You're right. So, you're right. He doesn't go to Miami... Shaq probably doesn't go to Miami because why would he want to be in Miami with no one there like an old Alonzo Mourning and I don't know Shane Battier Jason was there. Williams so like he probably goes somewhere else I think eventually if we want to get philosophical I think eventually super teams were going to happen but LeBron James probably would have left to somewhere else because Boston was still in his way he could never beat Boston right mm-hmm. and, and and that's kind of the reason why he left um, it's just a matter of who would have who would he leave to? Would, would he have left to Detroit? I mean, how crazy would that been? <laughs> they all just would have ended up in Detroit. I think Le- LeBron of who he is, LeBron is a guy that needs to be on top, right? So much pressure as a young kid to be the best, to be the next Michael Jordan. I think he would have left Cleveland because of Boston. Well, y- I just don't you know. You just where. answered my question. LeBron would have left for Chicago. Chicago was all, it was said to be all but a done deal until the 12th hour, this whole concoction, you know, and cacophony of Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosch and LeBron oh. teaming up to go to Miami was the final thing. The Bulls had an extreme, I think it was a five hour closed door meeting with LeBron days before the decision. They had that all but locked up. I think LeBron would have started to try to build a dynasty in Chicago. And instead of trying to chase Jordan by getting these like farcical rings with super teams, would have tried to build his own destiny by building another franchise and bringing a second golden era to Chicago. Jeez, what was that? 20s? That was 2012, 2012 right? Yep. Oh, excuse me. Uh, it was 2011. 20? 2011 was the first year and they lost to the Mavs. Okay. Again, Dirk Nowitzki showing up in this whole butterfly effect. <laughs> Poor Dirk. <laughs> Actually, Dirk's living a good life. Yeah, I mean, that year, oh my gosh. That uh, Okay, so we're talking, if he goes to the Bulls, Derek, Derek Rose, a third year Noah, Joakim Noah, sorry, Joakim Noah, um, Carlos holy Boozer. crap, Kyle Korver was in his seventh year during that time. But yeah, we got a Kyle Korver who's like already changing the league. A first year Taj Gibson. Yep. Uh, Luol Deng, like you said, Carlos Boozer. F- Rasal Butler. I mean, oh my gosh, yep. that would have been a... Cr- they, yeah, they definitely would have been the like team of the decade. If And hey, and let's go even further. You put the weight off Derrick Rose to be a playmaker and to always have the ball. You split that up. Derrick Rose 
might still be playing right now at an elite Throwing level. Throwing one more spice into the stew we're cooking here. Don't forget that fellow 2003 top 10 draft pick Kirk Heinrich would have been hanging out in Chicago as well. Oh yeah, that's hey! Right. Don't sleep on goggles. <laughs> the pride of Iowa. Yeah, I, I actually, I actually have Kirk stuff up here. He played for he played for thirteen years. Yeah. Average, average, actually, average eleven points a game. He had a pretty, pretty good career. Oh, guess what his his three point shooting career was like? Uh, forty two percent. Close 37 percent, which is very yeah, good. Yeah, man. Kyle Korver may have been pretty hanging wild. out. That's right, Kyle Korver, Kurt Heinrich in the wing, which is like the which is the LeBron James formula. Have wings that can that can make threes, and he'll do the rest. Now, really quickly before we we cap this off, let's just look at like the comparisons between Darko and oh Wade. Gosh. Guess how many? Actually, guess how many years Darko played in the league? I had no idea. Three. He played for 10 years Get in the league. out! Who was passing around Darko Milicic <laughs> like a hand-me-down sweater? Oh, I'm not kidding. Darko played 10 years in the league, only played 468 games, though, which is not a lot in comparison to those 10 years. Uh, averaging 6 points per game, 4 rebounds, 0.9 assists. Juxtapose that to Dwayne Wade, 16 years, averaging 22 points a game, which... He probably was more. You really shouldn't count those last two Dwayne Wade years. Uh, but 22 points a game, five assists, four rebounds. I mean, obviously a champion, a true baller, but oh my gosh, that that would have changed everything. That would have changed basketball as we know it. But because of that Darko Milicic um, blunder, there is so many resources now to really get all these international players right. And we actually didn't see a lot of international players after Darko. I mean, it really wasn't until like Luca until we were like really get back into this international game uh so that really screwed it up for people of like this this mystical ooh, he's from serbia like that all went away because because detroit really whiffed Dar- and screwed up their franchise until this year they get the first pick again darko milicic really did set back the european player i would say close to a decade like you alluded to i mean you, you the the next elevation was people not necessarily looking for a fundamental stretch the court big man the way dirk davitsky was but you know you saw more guys like Mehmet or sorry Mehmet Okur playing for the Utah Jazz where it's like this is a big guy and he shoots threes like that's his whole gimmick does he have post moves no yep. but he shoots threes yeah I mean pretty wild uh, a lot of implications in this draft um, oh man I can I can go on we we should do a a, a a redraft of this one day and just like redraft the whole thing because even on the bottom, we have like Leandro Barbosa in 28. I mean, a lot of crazy things. But stay tuned, Kansas City fans, because Reese has one in store for us. But before we do that, why don't we crack open a few beers? favorite segment although that first segment was pretty fun so i really enjoyed that but this will be equally as fun we are doing the beer segment for you before reese reviews a beer he has some beer news to share so as everybody knows this is this week in craft beer segment the segment where we sit down and we share some news going on in craft beer and also review a delicious craft beer now this week I found a very interesting article from beerandbrewing.com, and it basically outlines the history, the ambiguity, and how to make a good Saison. Armando, are you big into Saison ales? I love Saisons. I think that they have great flavor to them. They're not too boozy, and they actually have more of like a spicy flavor, like a cinnamon to them that I don't get with other beers. So yeah, I enjoy them. For me... I have bemoaned on the podcast many times that I'm very picky with my Pilsners. I feel like Pilsners either are or they aren't. I feel less confident with Saisons even than I do with Pilsners just because there's so much variety in what you're going to get with a Saison. I mean, it's easy to make a sour Saison. There's French Saisons. There's Belgian Saisons. I don't really feel like if I go to a brewery and I order the Saison, I necessarily know what I'm going to get. 
So when I'm paying, you know, like four bucks for a five ounce pour or eight bucks, you know, for a pint of a Saison, I'm not super confident in what I'm getting. Now, if somebody recommends a Saison to me, like one of my buddies, or I go somewhere and someone says, oh, you know, these guys make a great Tank 7 clone, you know, then I'm going to latch onto that and give it a shot. But I'm a little hesitant around trying out Saisons personally. Okay. Fair, fair. Long story short, this article talks a little bit more on the history of the Saison and how it started out essentially as like, I mean, I don't want to say the equivalent of European light beer, but he talks about how, you know, like a lot of uh, farmers and harvesters and those kind of guys would make this beer and they'd essentially be able to drink it out of jugs, you know, on a, during a break between the field work. Because, you know, you can't be getting all messed up and then trying to plow the field with a one horsepower horse, you know, it's like you're going to chop your foot off. <laughs> So he goes on to outline the important aspects of making a Saison, which, I mean, all truth be told, is the stuff you want to see in all the beer. You know, you don't want to skip the hops. They're very important. You know, some Saisons are going to be a little bit more bitter than others, but particularly like you alluded to, some of those noble hops are going to give you more of an earthy, spicy tone that a lot of people like in those kind of beers, especially those regional beers. I know a lot of people said, you know, spicy is something you get in a lot of beer, but I feel like choosing your malt and choosing your hop can give you just as much spice as specifically throwing, you know, sugar, spice, and everything nice in there. You know, you choose a rye. You want to go with a malted rye instead. That's going to give you a bit more of an earthy, cracky spiciness, you know, than if you went with, I don't know, something lighter like, you know, general wheat. So I think they're they're interesting beers, but by and large, I can't say they're my favorite or my go-to. All right. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, definitely not a go-to beer because they are crushable, but they're not like necessarily I'm going to get a six pack of Saison's. Like it's something that I'll get if a brewery's known for it um, or if it's in a flight, but definitely not my go-to. You're right. It's like my go-tos are Pilsner's, IPAs, you know, maybe some really good Imperial Stouts. You know, and one thing he touches down on in this article as well is the general ambiguity of Saison's. You know, he said he defines what he likes in his Saison, but he does mention that they can vary so much depending on what you put in it. Ironically enough, one mm-hmm. thing he said that really doesn't matter as much is water. And when you kind of break it down to brass tacks, when you think about it, you know, the water that these farmers would be using back in this time to make this beer, you know, that wouldn't be like triple osmosis filtrated, charcoal filtrated. It was the water they had, you know, so it's very, no yeah, pun intended. probably cleaner than what we have yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's very salt of the earth water, no pun intended. You know, and he, he's also mentioning the importance of, you know, not skimping on hops and choosing your grains properly. Interestingly enough, he didn't feel that yeast was that important, but if you Uh. ask people at Boulevard what makes Tank 7 Tank 7, they're going to tell you it's the yeast. That's where a lot of that bubblegummy banana-ness comes from that people love Tank 7 by. But again, yeah. we're starting to play the chicken or the egg game of is Tank 7 a true Saison if it's dry hop and you have all these extra things going on <laughs> in there? Or is it too heavy to be a Saison? Is the ABV too high? You know, all those different things go into it. And that is why, by and large, I don't mess with Saisons of my own volition. Only stay on brand. Reese is a company man. Tank 7 only. Tank, tank 7 Saison only. I mean, last thing, even, even Tank 7, it's like... Goodness gracious, you know, Saison, Brett, and Tank 7 are basically brothers, but, you know, they're both so different in and of itself. It's like, who would have thought that adding... Well, that's another thing, playing against the yeast card there. It's like Britannomyces is the yeast that makes Saison, Brett, Saison, Brett. So how can you say that yeast is not as important when you get that big of a difference in a beer between Tank 7 and Saison, Brett? Yeah, I, I guess it just matters, like, particularly for that beer, right? Because it could feature a yeast strain that is going to give a potent um, flavor, or it's going to be different, right? Or it's going to be a Saison that features a certain hop that gives it a certain flavor that's going to be different from Saison bread. So it's probably case by case on that respect. So in honor of talking about Saisons, I found it very appropriate to go to my fridge and guess what beer I pulled out? Uh, Saison. You're correct. A Colorado <laughs> Red Ale. <laughs> oh, dude, that's the one I sent you. It sure is. All right, so as mentioned, this week I will be cracking into Colorado Red, an American Red Ale from Snowbank Brewing Company. Armando, where is Snowbank located? Is there a city in Colorado called Snowbank? 
No, uh, I don't. Well, I mean, there oh. could be, but I don't think it's that's right. where that's where like the origin comes from. It's actually from Fort Collins. Yeah, I was gonna say I just found it on the can. Reese gets his uh, genius of the day award. <laughs> Although I will say, if I if I had to dig and I couldn't find an ABV on this can, and let, like also the address is on the can. Obviously, we got to go back to the drawing board in regards to how we're putting stuff on the can. Or Reese needs to clean his glasses. Either or. Reese's counselor also says that Reese likes to deflect things and talk in the third person. So. Oh, God. <laughs> That's, well, I don't know about deflecting, but you definitely do love to talk in the third person. I, Reese does love to talk in the third person. So, without further ado. I love that. Armando, why don't you talk us through how we do these beer reviews here on Fountain City Sports Media? Yeah, so what we're going to do, we have a few categories, and <laughs> while I uh, try to bring it up, because I actually don't have the list in front of me, and I should have it right in front of me, um, but the first thing that we do, Reese, is we put it in a glass and we talk about the appearance. So what's the appearance on this? Is it red? Uh, yeah, the appearance on this is red. I think it's uh, slightly lighter than most red ales I look at. It's, it's very much an amberish color. Uh, you know, amber is in the fossilized tree sap, not necessarily an amber ale. Uh, the head on it, it's got a nice caramel colored head. It's a very foamy head. It's not super even, which isn't a bad thing. Uh, bubbles. I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised by that head. Yeah, honestly. bubbles. And the color. The color is great. Bubbles a different size. Uh, you know, it's a very uh, up and down, bumpy looking head on there. Quite large bubbles in the head. Not a whole lot of action going on in the glass. Appearance wise, I think it's an appetizing beer, but I'm going to jump in there with probably a 7.4 to kick things off. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so we have appearance 7.4. I actually skipped one. My goodness. We do this how we've done it for a year and a half and I still don't I still don't know. It's like I don't even know how to make a comparison, but you know, it's like reading a book that you always have to read or like a manual or whatever. So, no, yeah, I, I don't know how to make a comparison. I mean, it's the same reason why they have pilots, you know, they can't let them go more than a month without taking a flight. It's like, you know, you get a little bit rusty. You kicked you kicked butt leading us in, you know, in the host seat tonight, but again, this week in craft beer is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> That's true. So I apologize. I missed aroma. What is the aroma on this beer, it's Reese? Okay, you've just given me more. How does it how does it smell Give for you? Give me some more time for it to open up. Very sweet on the nose, a lot of caramel notes there, a little bit of the hoppy bitterness, but overall, very alluring and appetizing smell right there. I'm just going to come out swinging and give aroma on this an 8.8. .8. Ooh, 8.8 .8 for referees. I love it. Reese, may I share what you just did before you smelled that beer? Please do. So Reese just sniffed himself. Is that is that something you're supposed to do? Or are you supposed to sniff your like your own body? So this is a this is the method that one of the cicerones that works in the beer hall uh, teaches everybody. What you're supposed to do is you rub your hands together and then breathe into your hands because then you're smelling your body's like neutral smell. Uh, it does not work if you have hand sanitizer or soap, which is why I didn't use my hands. I used like my elbow just to kind of get you know like the fox getting the smell of his own den, so to say. That should reset your palate and your nasal cavities, and then you can sniff a beer and really get the true scent of the beer going across the nose. No way. Mm -hmm. it, the last time I tried to sniff my hands when I was drunk or when I was hungover, that didn't work well. <laughs> yeah, I... That actually makes sense, though, actually, when you're hungover and, like, like I forgot, I, I maybe, like, sneezed or something, and then I, like, tried to, like, take a whiff in from the hand, and I, like, felt totally sick but it could be the like toxins it very well could be you know your body's been a lot of things when you've had too much to drink the night before so i don't know why i brought that up but that was the first <laughs> thing that i thought of when you said that <laughs> fair enough fair enough anyway third category flavor is it gonna taste caramely like you smelled will it taste darker than that Ooh, that is a tasty beverage ladies and gentlemen Oh, wow. We, we get the ooh seal of approval from hashtag referees. That is some serious flavor and action going on at 6% right there. Delicious caramel and toffee notes on there. A little bit of the hot bitterness. A lot of the sweet coming from the caramelized malt. I can't stop drinking that. That is delicious. And that's everything I think that you would want in a red ale 
That's hard to argue against, baby. Flavor on that's going to be a straight 9-5. Yo. Yo, yo, yo. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know what? You know what's funny is, I, so I sent you this beer. I actually haven't tried it yet. I haven't tried the Snowbank Red. You're going to love it. I have it. it with me. You're go- I'm so- Oh, now I'm super excited. I'm so glad this isn't my introduction into red ales or it would like wreck the market for me moving forward. That's delicious. <laughs> that is delicious. It was like me drinking uh, drinking beer, beer shot Pilsner. Like, yeah. I mean, of course I've had Pilsners, but that was like a predominant Pilsner that I'm like, eh. Although, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't had Tip Your Cat Baseball Beer... It's a pretty good beer from Boulevard. I'm drinking it right now. It's wonderful. Very tasty. Very tasty. All right. So flavor. Excellent. How about the mouthfeel, Reese? Does it feel heavy because of the darkness of that no, beer? No, and that is the best part about this beer. It is still very medium-bodied in the mouth. It's not too heavy. While there's a lot of flavor and malt taste from it, you don't get that alcohol back to it that you sometimes get with some of the the red ales and malt-forward beers that creep into that 6 to 8% range. Uh, I want to take one more sip of this really quick because I can't stop sipping it. <laughs> a little bit of carbonation, light enough to break up some of the heaviness and the sweetness from the beer. Again, mouthfeel on this is fantastic. I got to give this another... 9.3 holy moly oh my gosh i can't wait to try it so i can like cheers you on these and concur with all this and then our penultimate category is going to be aftertaste is it tastes a little different on that second time around as i alluded to one of my favorite parts of this beer is that when you breathe out, you don't get too much of an alcohol heaviness or ambiance or I don't want to say burn. Burn is a heavy descriptor, but warming sensation that's not necessarily there either in the mouthfeel or in the aftertaste. You get a little bit more of the hot bitterness coming back up, which tells me this is a very nice balanced beer that I'm tasting the sweetness going down and the hops coming back up. Overall, aftertaste on this, again, it's not changing the beer. It's not messing the beer. 9.3. Holy moly, we got nines coming out of nowhere from referees over here at Snowbank Brewing. And last but not least, we have the ever-translucent category. B-E-B- oh my, I was going to say B-E-D. <laughs> Bed. Bed. No, just kidding. <laughs> B-D-Q. BDQ. Uh, I can't even think of an acronym right now. I'm sorry, Reese. BDQ. It's okay. You don't have to think of an acronym because I'm just going to tell you the BDQ on this beer is very high. I was thinking to myself the other day, as much as I love IPAs and hazy IPAs, which I do, I will never say no to one. I love them. It's kind of like, when was the last time I really branched out into something different? Well, I tell you what, this was a beer that I'm so happy that I branched out into because it's made me fond of red ales again in a very similar way that the slow pour pills with uh, Bierstadt got me back into Pilsners. So I'm happy that this opened up another avenue for me. I have always found red ales to be a little bit leaning towards the overrated side. And I've had, you know, anything from Killian's to other breweries, red ales, but like this one in particular, it's like, wake up people. If you want to use something as a descriptor or to set the bar, this is a great beer to get people into red ales. I'm going to say just for my excitement, 9.9 on the BDQ. Oh my goodness referees coming hot with the review today no 10 so i don't know if we can make it into the mount crushmore conversation Mm. but i think we could put it on the mount crushmore summit yeah about that absolutely (laughs) you know it's it's not lincoln washington adams or roosevelt but you know he's like i don't know who is a good president that people like that really doesn't get all the respect he deserves (laughs) I don't know William Henry Harrison. Oh, man, I don't know. <laughs> no, but for real, uh, I think William Shatner. This thing would, yeah, he's at least an honorable mention. While he's not like MJ Kobe tier in regards to beer quality, he's like he's at least like Kevin Garnett. You know, maybe maybe Tim oh, Duncan level of stuff. You know, so whoa. Yeah. And for some people, that's very high praise. Although I don't. I, I don't put Tim Duncan way, way, way up there, but that's another conversation for another, another day. Another conversation another day. I'm just saying, you're going to be hard-pressed <laughs> finding a better red ale than this, and I'm probably going to be chasing this dragon for a long time. Awesome. Yeah, I'll make sure and grab some more for you. I think a, a common thing for us when we re- review beer, something of this ABV, we're always looking for something that is easy drinking because you're right. Like There are a lot of red ales out there that just feel super heavy, even though they can be like 5 6%. 
and then they're just not as appealing if the flavor's not great. Like, if the flavor's great and you do get this heavy mouthfeel, fine. But, like, if it's not a great flavor, or if it's just, like, middle of the road and you get this heavy mouthfeel, but it's still only 5%, like... That that does screw with it a little bit. So I, I'm glad you like this one, and I can't wait to try. I can't wait to try it and try the crispiness of this red Colorado Red Ale from Snowbank Brewing. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back from Reese's Great Red Ale review. Reese's. Um, Spring awakening per se, back into the uh, red ale game, this, um, and I'm glad you all were here to witness it. The snowbank melted, revealing a beautiful springtime awakening of Reese enjoying red ales. Oh, I'm speaking in first person <laughs> again. Go. Crap. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope your uh, your counselor's not listening. But if they are, they're about to hear a stonky what if from referees to finish out the podcast. Reese, what is your what if? In sports history. Well, as Armando... As he takes a drink of the tasty red ale. Well, as Armando alluded to, our what-ifs don't necessarily need to be about Kansas City sports, but ours does indirectly involve Kansas City sports, although it is not uniquely about Kansas City sports. And I think it's very appropriate that I'm drinking a red ale today because I will be talking about none other than Andy Reid Big Red. So my big what? Oh no! Can I guess what it Take is? Take a guess. What, what's the guess? Is it Michael Vick? It's not Michael Vick. Uh, so uh, okay, it, then I don't it know. does affect you though, being a giant Phoenix sports fan that you are, and I know that you are. So my what if today what? is what if in 2013 the Arizona Cardinals had selected Andy Reid <gasps> instead of Bruce Arians as their head coach? It's a big dude. This came out of left field. Did you just, did you just like, is it just a Reese brainstorm on this I one? I wanted to get some ideas for the Kansas City Chiefs, and obviously the easy one is, what if the Bears took Patrick Mahomes? And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm like, let's 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 dial back the clock here, because I'm like, Andy Reid is, you know, definitely someone to thank in regards to the Patrick Mahomes phenomenon coming on. So I'm like, what happened between like the Philadelphia Eagles? And the Kansas City Chiefs, I did a bit of digging, and it sounds like the Arizona Cardinals were actually very interested in Andy Reid back in 2013. So, Dude, I just looked it up. I had no idea. I know, right? So I want to dig a little bit deeper into this. This isn't just a coaching thing. This isn't just, you know, oh, what if they didn't get the coach? What if they had somebody else? I, I need to remind everybody here, the 2012 Chiefs are bottom out awful. You know, it's like, we're a great franchise. We have some great history. We're not the Cleveland Browns or Detroit Lions level bad, but 2012 Chiefs are about as bad of an organization from office to players as there's been in the NFL history. You'll see them in a lot of top five worst lists of all time. The important thing here is that when we hired Andy Reid in 2013, the immediate thing he did was he said, let's go out and get Alex Smith. Alex Smith, who we really kind of knew his ceiling on, for by and large, but we're like, well, with Andy Reid at the helm, we've seen what he can do with some other quarterbacks and really getting the best out of them. Cue Donovan McNabb. Cue, you know, the final act, Michael Vick. He's a quarterback whisperer. He did get the best out of Alex Smith. But absolutely, moving on down this line here, it's also important to consider the other players that we have to attribute during the Andy Reid era. Do you know who was drafted in 2013? Um, I cheated and I looked at the roster. So is it is it Poe? Travis Kelsey. Oh, does wait? Travis Kelsey is in the 2013 draft. Do the Kansas City Chiefs take a stab at the Cincinnati standout Travis Kelsey? If Andy Reid is not Dude, there, why did why did I think Travis Kelsey is so much? I know I know he's older, but why did I think he was so much younger than 2013? Wow. Anyway, continue. It's uh so Travis Kelsey is an obvious one, and you got to remember Kelsey came with a bit of an attitude issue, and he was injured his rookie year. So thankfully, he had Andy Reid to nurture the best out of Travis Kelsey. I'll tell you what. Oh. I mean, Travis Kelsey's fantastic, but does Travis Kelsey develop as a player and an individual if Andy Reid's not at the helm? Let's move. Oh gosh, Reese, don't don't put this in my head, man. Let's keep on going down this rabbit hole here. <laughs> Who did we draft in 2016? 
Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill. We do not draft Tyreek Hill and take take a flyer essentially on this domestic violence charged running back out of Oklahoma State sure. in the fifth round. If we don't have Andy Reid here, Andy Reid obviously saw something in him, and he said, "I can turn that guy into a great football player." I mean, the re- now Reese, how how much is that Brett Veach though? Like, how much is is the balance between that? Is it fifty fifty? Brett Veach is not the GM of the Kansas City Chiefs. Andy Reid's not here. Andy Reid and John Dorsey. That's true. He was his assistant. You're yeah. right. Yeah. So I mean, that's a whole another domino to fall. And obviously, you know, we don't get Patrick Mahomes in 2017 if Andy Reid's not here. So now that I've just kind of set these shockwaves into your system, what are your initial thoughts? <laughs> well, wait, wait, first I'm blown away that Andy Reid was in consideration. I actually started reading quick articles right now of what had happened during that time. I had no idea this was all happening. Now, granted, Kansas City fans, the reason why I'm a Kansas City fan and not a Cardinals fan is I actually didn't really start getting really into football until uh, I was in Kansas City. Of course, I love the whole like Cardinals, Kurt Warner run, uh, almost beating the Steelers, but I'm sure that's going to come into the conversation as well. Um, but I had no idea that had happened because you know what? The, that Cardinals team was actually pretty good during the 2012 year. Um, but oh my gosh, the implications there are huge, for, uh, obviously for Kansas City, but huge for Arizona. I think let's start by continuing to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs and where they'd be as an organization. Obviously, we don't have a super... I mean. It. I can't look into the crystal ball, but I would be willing to bet money on Vegas that we don't have a Super Bowl since 2013 if we didn't have Andy Reid as our head coach. You know. Also, who do who do we pick during that time? Do do we get Bruce Arians? Do we just do a, a swap there? What do you think? Um, I had to look this up. I had to look at head coaching hires in 2013, and it sounds like the other picks that year would have been Darrell Bevel, Mike McCoy, Mark Trestman. Josh McDaniels and Dirk Cutter. So like I really don't Josh wouldn't have gone in. I don't know any of those dudes. My guess is we nab up one of those guys. We probably languish for three or four years until about circa twenty seventeen. Maybe at that point we still have a top pick in the draft. But you know, do we use it on a quarterback? Do we go for a quarterback knowing that you know with without yeah. the quarterback whisperer as our head coach? Or do we take, you know, another offensive lineman or defensive lineman of the top five pick in twenty seventeen? Yeah. I mean, Andy Andy Reid is known for his play calling and known for his chemistry, but Andy Reid doesn't get enough credit of being a, a fantastic GM assistant or just knowing talent and knowing how to how to groom these guys, but also test these guys. Like people forget, Andy Reid spent over five hours with Patrick Mahomes before the draft. Like Andy Reid vetted the crap out of Patrick Mahomes, right? Like like they were going through everything, and I think people forget that. So. I don't know if we would have gotten Alex Smith. Definitely, we definitely would not have had Patrick Mahomes. I can guarantee you that. If Andy Reid was not our head coach, we would not have had Kareem Hunt, uh, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill. Especially, we would not have had Patrick Mahomes. Because we know for that draft, no one was batting an eye when the Chiefs picked Patrick Mahomes at 10. Everyone was like, okay, whatever, good good luck. He can sling the ball, but can he do anything else? But Andy knew because Andy is a smart guy and he does his homework. So absolutely, this would have been years of Alex Smith. I mean, and then we can really go down the rabbit hole. Would Alex Smith would have got, you know, would he be injured in 2021? He probably would still be the starting quarterback. Well, actually, that's assuming he would have, come to the Kansas City Chiefs but um, I mean because 2012 was Matt Castle so <laughs> uh, I, I don't know who who the heck would our quarterback be holy moly I, I don't know I don't know what I can tell you is I think at this Trevor Lawrence at this juncture <laughs> yeah really unless sometime around so bad unless around 2017 after getting rid of one of those clowns before him you know we picked up the next Wunderkind coach I don't know, they get like Sean McVay or something like that. It's like we're we're probably still bottom of the yeah. West. Because the the issue right now is like the Raiders and the Broncos, is they're the bottom of the AFC West because they're just, you know, they're a they have serious issues, but they have t- tons of talent. They don't have Patrick Mahomes. They don't have Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, it's they like, don't have Patrick Mahomes. What do the Chiefs do? I don't think the Chiefs have any talent, you know, this time if we don't have Andy Reid picked back in twenty thirteen. Dude, imagine wait, wait, I'm gonna go even further with this because this is wild. Okay, so imagine like the 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 teams are the way they are currently. 
that are in the AFC West and the Chiefs are just a below average team. Derek Carr is the future of the AFC West. Derek Carr is, you know, a borderline pro bowler maybe because there's no Patrick Mahomes. How wild is that? Absolutely. And, you know, do the Chargers go for broke taking Justin Herbert when they did, if not for the threat of the boogeyman of Patrick Mahomes sleeping under the bed? I don't think so. That's a good point. So, I mean, does do players like Kyler Murray get a shot where it's like they have baseball backgrounds, maybe not the physical tools they want, but can really mm-hmm. throw a ball, even though they're not the prototypical size. Patrick Mahomes is changing the industry. So is Andy Reid. So it's you know it's just it's just something to think about for the Kansas City Chiefs. Ooh. It's it, it, yeah. Just imagine if Patrick Mahomes fell to like another team. I don't even know who he would have fallen to in that draft. But imagine he falls to the like Patriots and he's backing up. Tom Brady and then he becomes no. whatever can 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 even Bill Belichick make Patrick Mahomes Patrick Mahomes Patrick Mahomes or does Bill Belichick make Patrick Mahomes be this pocket passer not allowed to scramble you know be this like prototypical um, person in his system think about that I mean this one's not too hard to stretch your imagination on the Chiefs would not be good Travis Kelsey would not be here Tyreek Hill might not be in the league and Patrick Mahomes probably At isn't all. playing like the Patrick Mahomes we know and love. Now, while we still have time, I wow. want to flip the coin really quick. <laughs> and let's look at the wow. Arizona Cardinals. How did the Arizona Cardinals fare from this point in history? Had they picked up Andy Reid in 2013? You know, the they weren't a great team at that time, but there was still some talent on the roster. You know, Carson Palmer was about to enter his second act when he really had that, you know, glory period kind of in the mid-2010s, making the NFC Championship game the way they did. Larry Fitzgerald would have been 30 years old, still in his prime, and still arguably the best or second best receiver in the league. Uh, Rashard Mendenhall hanging out on there. He was still putting up some decent numbers. It was a lot of decent pieces, but I don't think you can count out Andy Reid turning that franchise around and getting the best out of guys like Carson Palmer. Oh, absolutely. And people don't remember Carson Palmer was a very good quarterback. He just didn't have a lot of weapons. Of course, he had Larry Fitzgerald, but I think Anquan Bolton ended up going to the Ravens before this year. I think it was, yeah, it was Larry Fitzgerald, Andre Roberts, who was a fine wide receiver, but he wasn't great. But oh my gosh, imagine, uh, imagine Andy Reid unleashing... Carson Palmer and this Larry Fitzgerald duo Uh, just a few years later they get David Johnson and of course their 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 defense they they have a rookie Patrick Peterson Uh, they have a fourth year Calais Campbell Darnell Dockett um, Sam Acho William Gay I mean it was a great team oh man who 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 knows what have happened because the Cardinals were always that you know, uh, never the bride, always the bride, the bridesmaid. You know, they, they were never almost there, but they were always legitimate and always in the hunt. Well, and I'm glad you brought up the David Johnson thing because he showed up two years later in 2015 and people are saying, well, you know, if, okay, I'll say Andy Reid turns around the Cardinals the way he turns around the Chiefs. You know, there's still a good chance they draft David Johnson when they do because he was he was a third round pick. You know, he wasn't some sort of can't miss lottery pick. He's just the type of player that Andy Reid likes to mess around with. And we've seen it in the past drafting Kareem Hunt when he did and drafting Clyde Edwards Alaire in the first round that he's not afraid to go after running backs that he really thinks will fit in his system. Can you imagine Andy Reid having a beautiful hands, incredibly smart, patient, athletic running back the way David Johnson is to play with? It would be incredible. Oh my goodness. It, I mean, it, it would have been it would have been absolutely wild. Oh yeah, Michael Floyd was also on that team. Michael Floyd is a great wide receiver as well. I mean, Andy Reid would have found weapons. And I'm going to throw something else at you, Reese. <laughs> What if Andy Reid picks Patrick Mahomes to go to the Cardinals instead? Well, I mean, that's a distinct possibility. How long was Carson Palmer hanging around the Cardinals for? He wasn't there much after 2015, was he? No, he was. Um, I'm looking. Let's see. He was there until 2017. He was 38 when he retired from the Cardinals or he left the Cardinals. You know who else was on that team? Adrian Peterson was also the running back for that team. So remember that. 2018 was when they picked Josh Rosen with the 10th pick, and then Josh Rosen just blew well, it. Well, and let's be real here. Brett Veach definitely had a hand in bringing Patrick Mahomes to the Chiefs, and I'm not going to pretend like he didn't, but Andy Reid's no sure, dummy. Sure, sure. If they're looking for a Carson Palmer replacement, what would be 38 at the time, they could easily take a flyer on this Patrick Mahomes kid, 
let him sit a year behind Carson Palmer, who was technically and fundamentally and intelligence-wise a very capable quarterback, kind of do the same thing they did with Alex Smith. Make him look good, make him be playoff contenders, but can't quite break through the glass ceiling. Draft Mahomes circa 2017, maybe that franchise turns around. Oh my gosh. And remember, let's look at that roster that Patrick Mahomes would have had. Patrick Mahomes, Adrian Peterson, Larry Fitzgerald, a young Jerron Brown, who I actually thought was pretty good. His O-line, Shipley, Alex Boone, Mm. DJ Humphreys, Mm. and then, of course, an impeccable, an impeccable defense of someone that he would meet later in his life. Honey Badger, Patrick (laughs) Peterson, Tyon Branch. Carlos Dansby, Chandler Jones, oh my gosh, uh, Rucker, Corey Peters. I mean, yeah, uh, Arizona always had a fantastic defense, and I don't think that was Bruce Arians. They they, they just always picked good defense, and they always had because because that was during the years where like you know now it's all about offense, right? Post Patrick Mahomes era, I think that's how we're gonna like talk about NFL now. It's gonna be the post Patrick Mahomes era is when the offense became great, but. We all remember post Patrick Mahomes, it was all defense and Cardinals had it. Now imagine Patrick Mahomes having a defense. Holy moly. So is it safe to say here, since we're running out of time, that it is not beyond the realm of possibility to believe that the Kansas City Chiefs are bad and still really bad to this day. And the Arizona Cardinals, it's foreseeable and possible that they may have gotten Patrick Mahomes. Oh yeah. I mean in in a huge conclusion. <laughs> Um, the Chiefs would still be bad because Andy Reid is almost equivalent to Patrick Mahomes. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes is one of one, but Andy Reid is definitely an amazing, I mean, one of one coach. And then Arizona Cardinals, there would never be no Cliffs Kingsbury. There would never be no Kyler Murray. Andy Reid, baby. Well, I call Andy Reid and Larry Fitzgerald. That just sounds beautiful. Just nasty. Just straight nasty. All right. That just sounds beautiful. Andy, man. Okay. I, I call this meeting of the Midnight Society to a close for Patrick Mahomes and Andy <laughs> Reid. <laughs> That's from Andy Reid. Thank you all for listening today. This was a lot of fun. This is something that Reese and I have always talked about doing since we started the podcast again. Uh, and this was just the perfect time. Like Reese said in the beginning of the podcast, there's not a lot of Kansas City sports going on. And I know our listeners love stuff like this as well. So hit us up in our Instagram if you think of any other what ifs that we missed or, oh, we should talk about this next because we'll definitely have different versions of this what if because it's so fun. I mean, Reese and I have already talked for almost an hour and a half, but we can we can spend hours and hours on these what ifs. How about you? Or, uh, what are you doing this this week, Reese? Anything fun? Uh, I went to a wedding in Omaha last weekend. I'm going to a wedding in Des Moines this weekend. Oh, that's right. It's wedding season. Oh, it's wedding. It is wedding season. And actually. then I'll be going to another wedding in Des Moines two weeks after that. Oh, my goodness. Well, have fun there. Make sure you hit up all the fun stops in Des Moines. See our boy, Crazy Kyle. Oh, yeah. Have a great time. Uh, absolutely. Crazy Kyle, we're coming for you. We're coming. We'd like to thank you for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM to gain access to premium content, including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews. Check out our website at FountainCitySportsMedia.com for more info on the podcast, social media, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. Special thanks to bands Carswell and Hope and Like a Tiger for providing our intro and outro themes. And as always, I'm Reese, and alongside my good friend Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media.